Oh, yeah. I always wanted one of these. It fits. I'm going to have to tell retired Army Captain Ed Titus that it fits me very well. I had a flight jacket when I was in high school, but I always wanted the real thing, a bomber jacket. Something about a bomber jacket from the 1940s and 50s that just says vintage, doesn't it? It was well constructed. 60 years later, it just looks better. It wears well. We love what is well-made and the things that endure. Vintage. It's the idea that we have an inheritance that endures. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we become good stewards of what we inherit, the truth. Good stewards of our time, our talent, our treasure. We're going to be looking at vintage faith that we're not making this up as we go along. We receive as an inheritance of tradition what has faithfully been passed on. You know, this this jacket uh, represents something, doesn't it? It represents Ed Titus. It represents his service to our country. I understand he flew over 6,000 missions, many of them at night, in this jacket. Think about that. Think about what this jacket represents. It's a symbol. It's an outward sign of great sacrifice, of courage, of commitment. But it is not the man or the commitment itself, is it? It's not the, it's not the courage. It's not the service. It's not the sacrifice. It's not the man itself. But what a beautiful outward sign it is. Now, maybe not everybody agrees. I just happen to like vintage leather. But in a minute, we're going to look at the scriptures where Jesus helps us to distinguish between wine and wineskins. That in order for us to keep truth in our tradition, in order for us to be faithful with our tradition, in order for our traditions to serve us well, lined up with the truth, we need to keep investing in them. Ourselves. Investing ourselves in all that we hold dear. Because the passion of one generation can become the duty of the next and a burden to the third. Here God's Word this morning from Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 33. Jesus is answering back to the Pharisees who are trying to, again, trap him, trying to corner him, trying to show some inconsistency here. He's, he's asking why he's behaving, and the disciples are behaving the way they're behaving. They're not observing uh, a tradition of fasting twice a week. Jesus says this, uh, They said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. But your disciples, saying to Jesus, eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. See, there will be a fast. There will be a time to fast. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new. And the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. And it will be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires the new, for he says the old is good. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for a word that is not only meaningful, but also powerful. We pray that in the coming moments, you would help us to experience not only the meaning of your word, but its power in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. hate to take that off, but then again... The passion of one generation can become the duty of the next and the burden to the third. So how do we, how do we keep life in our tradition? In the tradition of truth that we share here, the cross of Jesus Christ is a symbol of that truth. How do we keep that cross, that very cross, full of meaning, faith full? Well, first we have to understand that the wine is not the wineskin, and the wineskin is not the wine. The wine is not the wineskin. In other words, the meaning is not its outward sign. We need to make sure we distinguish between those traditions, those things we hold dear, and the why behind the what. If your tradition, even a cross is a what? What is the why behind it? What's the meaning behind it? There was a a boy, uh, I understand this is a true story, about a boy who was standing with his father in a church in New England. And he asked his father, after they said the Apostles' Creed, why do we turn around and face the back when we say the Apostles' Creed? In that church, that Lutheran church, that German church, it had long been their tradition to stand to say the Apostles' Creed during the course of the service and to turn around and face the back. And the father said, well, I don't know. (laughs) We've just always done it that way. Does that sound familiar? We've just always done it that way. And the boy kind of scratched his head. Well, it turns out the father followed up and he he did some inquiry and he he found out that during the war, during World War II, the scrutiny of German communities was high. And so so this church in particular wanted to make sure that, that they were demonstrating their loyalty to the United States. And so... Their, their services were no longer in German, they were in English. But they all had trouble saying the Apostles' Creed, getting through it to the end, reciting it. And so they printed it on a big banner and they hung it at the back of the church. 
Somewhere along the line, that banner went away. But the practice of standing and turning around backwards remained. You see, sometimes things do feel meaningful to us. We have vested ourselves in the practice, but have we really vested ourselves in the meaning behind the practice? See, that's what Jesus is pointing out between this contrast The old wine and the new wine, the old wineskins and the new wineskins. You see, at that that time, they didn't have bottles, and so they kept wine in wineskins. The wine would be pressed, and then the mast of it would, would be discarded, and the wine itself would be put into a fresh goat skin. It would be sealed up. And because it was a new wineskin, the, the, the continued fermentation process of the wine would cause that wineskin to expand. And, and that was necessary because uh, gases from the wine would continue to, 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 to move. And so, so this, this mixture, this liquid was alive. It was alive. You see? And so it needed. And so Jesus is pulling this image in and he's showing the life inside the outward sign. And he's saying, don't miss the life. Don't take your tradition. See, at the time, it was common practice for the Jews to to, to fast twice a week. Jesus isn't saying, don't fast. He's saying, there's something new happening here. There's, There's a new message. And don't confuse that message for dead ritual. There's a paradigm that's shifting. There is is a new mindset here that he's bringing. There is a, a revolution that Jesus is bringing within the human heart. And if we just go through the same motions we used to go through as though that could contain a revolutionary message, then we will miss the message. And so Jesus is saying, Don't confuse the wine for the wineskin. I want to read to you from C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory. He talks about the importance of our outward signs. But he also talks about how vital it is that we not confuse those outward signs for their inward purpose and the meaning. He says this, the books or the music in which we thought beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, in other words, if the music and the beauty that we're seeing outwardly is mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. Another verse from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has placed eternity in our hearts, right? 
He's placed eternity, a longing within our hearts. And so when something beautiful resonates within us, when something like handcrafted, this slice of Americana right here, this leather bomber jacket, or some beautiful piece of music resonates, it touches us deeper than our ears and our minds and even our hearts. What resonates is something that endures. And so Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful not to vest meaning in the what of your life without knowing how to vest meaning in the why, under it, behind it, the transcendent meaning and purpose of our life together. Even even across We need to understand the why of it. So you say, well, so no tradition, Tim? Is that what you're saying? We shouldn't have traditions? Should we downplay traditions? Well, at one time, you know, uh, it was Reformation Sunday last Sunday. We probably should have sung a mighty fortress is our God in here. But but during the Reformation, uh, Luther pointed out that the church and all its trappings and all the outward signs of beauty and meaning that the church had vested in over the years had lost their meaning, that, that, that the commitment of the life of the church had lost its way. As, as John said to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, he said, I hold this against you. You have lost your first love. You're doing all kinds of wonderful things, but you've lost your first love. And so Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door, confronting the church about its errancy, about its heresy. But it's not the thing itself. I mean, there, there was a whole group of people, they were iconoclastic. They said, let's just, let's push away. Let's have no symbols in the church whatsoever. I, I don't subscribe to that. We don't, as a Presbyterian church, subscribe to saying there are no symbols. We just need to understand what they mean. What they're for. We need to know the why behind the what. In other words, you have to realize that at some point, yes, we are going to have traditions. We will have traditions. Even if you destroy all of them today, we will begin to reinvent them immediately. You see, in other words, it's this. The wine is not the wineskin, but the wine needs a wineskin. The media of the message is necessary. The message needs a medium. You know, Beth and I, uh, just to illustrate this a little bit more, about how you vest yourself, not in the thing, but the meaning behind the thing, and that the message does need a medium. The wine does need a wineskin. Beth and I, were, when we were engaged, we were thinking about our marriage vows. And we thought, we were sitting with our our pastor and we were talking about uh, whether or not uh, we were going to write our own vows. And we were thinking, that's the way to truly internalize it. Write your own vows. That's the way that you can make it personal and that you can really truly own it, right? And then we read the traditional vows. In plenty and in want. In joy and in sorrow. In sickness and in health. Will you cherish and love and honor one another. And we said, that's, that's what we want to say to each other. The traditional vows, 
resonated with us. And it wasn't the vows themselves so much as it was the meaning behind it. And it was our vestment of ourselves in those vows that made them come alive again. And so to us, it was an old wineskin, yes, but it was a new wineskin for us because we were vesting ourselves in the meaning of it. And so we need to take care that we're investing ourselves. We can do that in this worship service. We can, we can, we can presume that rewriting our marriage vows is the only way that we can truly be authentic in worship. In other words, the new is the true. Only the songs that, that are playing currently on the radio are the ones that can really bring life and meaning and passion to us. Not so, not so. We need to invest ourselves even in what we inherit. We need to recognize that, like Beth and I saying our marriage vows, there was a collective wisdom that came through those vows. And so Jesus is saying to his, to his accusers, he's saying, we're putting a hold on the fast for now, but there will be a fast. He says in Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, when you pray. But first things first. Are you investing not in an experience, your experience of worship in this place? Not in chill bumps? Not in a, a, a sense of relevance? Although these things are wonderful, we don't want to push those. Are you investing yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ? And Him alone, just as D.T. read this morning from Psalm. 146, not in princes, not in any lesser thing, but in the Lord alone. This morning, Mike Colley comes to bring a word to you from, from you. We're, over the next four weeks, you're going to be hearing from various ones in our midst who are going to be talking about what it means to invest again in our faith. What does it mean to give our lives into our faith? This morning, Mike's going to talk about I hope, <laughs> investing in the Well, uh, this, this is all I've got, so it won't be much. When I grow up, I want to be just like Pastor Tim. I tell you, it is so cool. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to give you a story today, and I want to give you two stories. One is a back story. About two, three weeks ago, Sloan Howard uh, came to me, and he said, uh, Tom Everett and I are the co-chairman of the stewardship committee. And uh, we need another person on that committee. I said, well, okay. I, I knew it wasn't an honor, but I said, well, okay, that's fine. I, I believe in stewardship. And then he said, and it starts November 1st, and it ends November 23rd. And Tom and I can't be there November 1st. <laughs> so I'm here, and that's the reason I am here. That's the backstory. Uh, my story is that I came to, uh, to First Presbyterian Church as the bookkeeper back in August of something last year, and then began to get to know people. And as I began to get to know people, I saw life. I saw commitment to Jesus Christ. I saw commitment to growth. I saw commitment to something more than themselves. And uh, so I began attending church in November, just about a year ago. And in February of this year, I joined 
the church. I joined not because I needed a place to be. I joined because I wanted to be in a place that was going somewhere. And that's what this church is. And so in this stewardship season, we need to think about how we fund that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a CPA, and I've been a bookkeeper in various churches, and it's always been a, a struggle to figure out how much money is going to come in so I can, we can prepare a budget for the coming year. And the pledge and commitment season helps the church do that. Now, for me, making a pledge is nothing more than just writing down what I committed to 40 years ago. Forty years ago, my wife and I committed to tithe, and so that's a given. And so making a pledge is nothing more than just writing that down on a piece of paper. So when you write down on a piece of paper what you're going to give, make sure it's something you're committed to because that makes it easier. If you're committed to it, there's no problem. So my story. Outward signs of inward grace. We've seen it today in baptism. We've looked at it through the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. We're going to experience it here at the Lord's table. This is the Lord's table. This is not a Presbyterian table. It's not a religious table in the sense of just empty ritual. It is a religious table in the sense of being retied. That God can and does intersect with our lives here and now. That He does vest His life in ours. And so I invite you today to this table of the Lord Jesus Christ. 